the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, thank you very much. Gosh, it's my turn again. How time flies when you're having fun, huh? <laughs> Good afternoon to you. Welcome. Welcome to the Wednesday. It is the second day of November edition of Lifeline. Trust you're doing well and uh, um, staying high and dry here. A couple of days. I was joking earlier today when I came into the station. My goodness, this stuff that's falling from the sky that has that kind Kind of a damp consistency to it. Well, what exactly is that? It seems to be a, a stranger indeed to California, but uh, a welcome visitation of rain here the last couple of days. And while it might have cleared up in many parts of the bay as you head home tonight, make sure you drive nice and safe. And remember, wet roads and a little bit of oil on those roads make them very dangerous. So uh, be sane and be safe and get home to your family. We're going to talk um, politics tonight. The election, as you know, is uh, barely a week away now, the midterm election. And it is a uh, not only a hotly contested one and a number of key races around the country, certainly a very critical one here in California. We're going to get to that in just a moment and most particularly talk about a, a, a potential game changer in one of the propositions and a game changer for California, not in a good way. Brian Johnston is going to join us in just a moment. But I, I want to address an issue. Issue that has been troubling me for several days now, and I was going to say something on the program yesterday evening, and then some of the talk seemed to subside, and then I saw more nonsense over the last 24 hours, and I thought, you know, somebody needs to say it. This nation right now is clearly a very morally, politically, spiritually divided one. There's no doubt about that. And I'm not quite sure, at least on the human plane, what can be done to try and mend those fences and bring about a greater sense of, of cooperation, compromise where possible, and a sense of, of not looking at people that have different thoughts, different ideas, different opinions as the enemy. It's very easy for us to, I think, characterize people in such a fashion with whom we have disagreements, maybe severe and grave disagreements. But I'm reminded, too, that Scripture tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that God sent His only begotten Son, that none should perish, but that all should experience everlasting life. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And sometimes, and I, and I want to say, this is probably not directed to 90% of this audience, but to the 10% of you that have somehow taken delight, gleeful delight, in the attack on the House Speaker's husband, shame on you. If you call yourself a Christian, I wonder how you, in your mind and in your scripture reading, 
justify the sense of do no harm. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. And celebrating a brutal attack on someone. Nancy Pelosi's voting record, political opinions, record in the House representing the state of California has no bearing on the ugly attack on her husband. And we ought to all be terrified by the notion that if someone thinks they can go in, break into the home of a political leader of any party and threaten physical harm, in this case, hitting the husband of the House Speaker over the head with a hammer and sending him to the hospital, he's lucky he didn't die, and threatening to bust the House Speaker's kneecaps? I mean, is that really what we have devolved into? So I want to urge you, if you're a person of faith and you hear somebody making light of this, say something. Because we're, we're heading into uncharted waters and dangerous territory here. And you'd better believe if somebody is willing, after having been showered by a lot of rhetoric, to take that kind of action, more rhetoric, more nasty discourse will only produce more of the same. And I've often said on this program that, you know, <laughs> when they're emboldened to the point where they don't mind shooting the police or violently attacking elected representatives, whether or not you agree with their positions or party, if thugs out there are willing and so emboldened to behave that way, you better believe one thing for sure. They will not stop for a second in treating you or I likewise. So I think it's time to ratchet down the rhetoric, take a deep breath. Yes, we have differences. Yes, those differences need to be addressed. Yes, many cases we need to do that by becoming more politically active, not less so. But celebrating the potential well, a severe injury could have been potential death of any individual is not becoming anyone who names Jesus as Lord and Savior. And if you get some delight in hearing about any human being bodily injured like that, maybe it's time you do some own personal introspection because it just is not the way a decent human being should behave. And again, this is not directed to the vast majority of this audience, because I know you, I know your heart. But if there might be one or two out there eavesdropping right now that do get the light on this, Second um, Chronicles 7.14 might be a good place to start. All right. With that said, we're going to turn to the issue of politics to a broader degree. As I mentioned, we are less than a week away now from the midterm election. This is usually kind of the Eeyore election. Folks don't tend to get too terribly excited. Uh, we, we don't have uh, the presidential candidate in the race here. Uh, yes, it's true that um, all 435 House seats are up for grabs, but but generally speaking, there is a, a slimmer turnout in midterm elections historically. But this one is very different. It is different not because of 
not just because of the number of issues at stake in Washington, D.C. right now, but it's also different for the state of California because we're heading in a potentially dangerous direction about to codify into constitutional law, mark my words carefully, codify into constitutional law not only the killing of babies, but inviting anyone to come into our state and take advantage of such codification at California taxpayer expense. Shocking, alarming, you better believe it. Could Proposition 1 potentially pass in California? You better believe it. We'll talk more about it around the corner. Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, joins us as we break down some of the key propositions here in California coming to a ballot box near you on Tuesday of next week. Time out. Back with more of the conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back. 518 or so on the clock. I say or so because there seems to be a bit of a, a debate between the clock on the desk and my cell phone. But at any rate, you just kind of divide it amongst yourselves. Two-minute difference, 18 down the middle. <laughs> the, um, the late Phyllis Schlafly, a dear friend of this program for many, many years, um, quite frequently warned against the dangers of convening a constitutional convention and what kind of shenanigans should potentially take place in uh, doing significant modifications to the U.S. Constitution, in spite of the fact that there are certain protections built in, uh, such as, for example, if we are going to amend the Constitution, which once such an amendment has been proposed and passed by Congress, no less than 38 of the 50 states must ratify that or agree to that before it becomes set in stone before it's codified into the Constitution. Sadly, here in California, the guardrails are significantly lower. The counties don't have to ratify. In fact, the California state legislature can come up with a little ditty that they'd like to add to the ballot and simply call on Californians to vote. And bingo, California constitutional law is changed. Want to see just how dangerous that could potentially be? Well, we're going to break down for you Proposition 1 as we're joined by the Western Regional Director of the National Right to Life Committee, Brian Johnston. Brian, by the way, hosts the um, informative program called Life Matters, heard Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. Brian, always good to have you uh, join us and uh, delight to uh, have you uh, spend some time educating us. Uh, let's talk first and foremost about Proposition 1. Many Californians are familiar with it. Many or not, this is a potential game changer, as I suggested in my opening remarks, and not a game changer in a good way. It could, in fact, effectively tell Californians, we're changing the Constitution. Good luck ever passing a law that would do anything to try and protect law life in this state in the future. Break Proposition 1 down for us, if you would, please. Yes, Craig, always a pleasure, and thank you very much. California was one of the first states that actually adopted direct democracy back in 1912 with the progressive movement, and that allowed you as an individual citizen to become a lawmaker. And so there's two ways to do that through the initiative process. You've got enough signatures, fellow citizens together, try to qualify for the ballot, and then everybody gets to decide on the law. It wasn't just the 120 lawmakers we elect. 
in a republic, which we do have, it's California Republic, it says our flag. And that's an emulation of the United States Republic where we elect people who take the time to debate. And they debate it at least twice in each house in subcommittees where it's excruciatingly examined. And then the floor of legislators has to debate it and vote on it. So lawmaking is a, a long process. We'll debate. <laughs> you don't mind my saying so. What the direct democracy does, it makes every every individual, every Sally Six Pack, excuse me, every <laughs> Sam Six Pack and Sally Soap Opera, every regular American that lives in California will now be a lawmaker. And that's what we have on the constitutional amendment, which appears on this ballot. It's called a referendum. And it's a referendum because it's incredibly sweeping. And with the referendum, the lawmakers say, well, this is a pretty hot topic that we'd like to vote on, but let's make them vote on it. And then the pressure's off us. It's the people that makes this law. They're the ones that can be blamed. Here's the problem. The average American, the average Californian, they watch a lot of television. The average, you know the average Californian. We are that. But we know our friends and neighbors. There's a lot, a lot of deep thinking. There's a lot of simplistic thinking. This particular proposition would put into the California Constitution a prohibition on any pro-life laws in the future. Because they would violate the Constitution in the future. The abortion lobby is terrified that there's a change coming. Maybe Republicans might get, maybe they'll take back the California legislature. But they want to preclude that. So any debates in the future, let's say two years, four years, six years, debates about, well, how come every other medical procedure requires informed consent before that doctor can you and get inside of you? They have to explain in detail what's about to be done. You have to agree to that. That's called informed consent. Every other medical procedure requires that, but not abortion. Well, why don't we pass an informed consent law? Well, if it's in the state constitution and it's called restricting reproductive freedom, that can't pass because now it violates the state constitution. So you're seeing the most dramatic and draconian action that will be put into place if Prop 1 passes. So Prop 1, critically important you understand how sweeping it is. It will authorize every abortion that we now authorize, which is every abortion. It will fund and make eligible for government payment every abortion, which is now authorized. And if an insurance company doesn't cover it, the state of California does. But more than that, as you know, Gavin Newsom has promised Tourist abortions, so people can come from out of state. Young women, because usually they're the ones who get pregnant, they will be lured to California because California wants to kill their babies. And if in their state, let's say, and this is still unclear, they won't admit, if it's a minor and in that state, if in Kansas, a parent has to be informed, oh, that, that restricts reproductive rights. Come to California, Sally, we'll pay for you to come. We'll pay the flight. We'll pay for you to stay over. You can have a vacation in California to kill your baby. California now has legalized that. 
So we're looking at the most radical proposal, and Proposition 1 cements it. So that's what Prop 1 is. I really want to talk about the whole ballot. And to be honest, I want to invert the ballot in a little bit. That's at the top of the ballot. Everybody's going to vote on that. Everyone's going to vote on on your governor. And uh, we'll talk about Brian Dolly in contrast to our current governor, Newsom. That's important to know. But your most important vote, the ballot that you will get, actually the power is in your local community. The power is your local community. So, yes, Prop 1 and the governor's race, very important. But if you understand down the ballot, the power, if I could, Greg, just for a second, let's say you're in Levermore or Dublin, and you go to a, a home church Bible study, and there's, there's 15 of you. And you say, wow, I'm, I want to affect the, I want to speak up for babies. And the 15 of you say, yes, we're going to vote no on Prop 1. And that's great. But that's a drop in the bucket. There's going to be millions of votes. That's a drop in the sea of votes. As you go down the ballot, you get more power. And I want to tell you, your most power, that same ballot in your local school board, that local school board race, most school board race, the districts, they divide the, the school board into smaller districts. Most district races are decided by a smaller margin than 15 votes. Three or four votes will determine who's on that school board. Right now, Planned Parenthood has candidates. They want to bring school-based clinics to your local school. If you skip those races, that's where your vote is most powerful. So I'm turning the ballot upside down. I'm urging you, if you vote locally pro-life, you're going to vote as you go up the ballot for that member of Congress that's pro-life. You'll vote for them. And then as you go up to your state legislature, you'll vote for the pro-life assembly member or state senator. Yes, you'll vote for the pro-life candidate for governor. Yes, you'll vote no on one. But the real power of your vote is down the ballot because you speaking locally has great power. And most Americans have forgotten that. Dr. Dobson was dwelling on this program last week, our friend Dr. Dobson, on a brilliant point his program made. But if you don't vote locally, 65 million evangelicals have said they'll vote what they do know about the higher-up but they skip the lower races. See, and that that is such a mistake, Ryan, because at the end of the day, what's what's critical for people to understand, and I want to kind of underscore this, I I want to come back to a couple of points on Prop 1, but but on, on topic... People need to recognize that these are these are usually for most politicians or politician wannabes stepping stones, and by that I mean it, it would be rare for somebody who has zero political background to say I'm running for president. Though, as we know, that has happened. But the more standard trajectory historically has been people that get drawn into local politics that become a member of the local school board they run for city council maybe from there they move up to a run for a community college district perhaps from there it's a step to becoming at the state level a member of the assembly or the the state senate then usually from there at the state level they move on to the federal level they run for the house they run for the senate and <coughs> pardon me and onward it goes the caliber of character of those people that we vote for at the very beginning, oftentimes as they make their way up the ladder, 
determines the caliber of the people that we're going to get in Washington, D.C. And if you say to yourself, you look at some of the people that, that represent uh, the, the U.S. nationally, and think, so how did they ever... How did they get elected dog catcher, let alone senator, House of Representatives, whatever? And the answer is, well, they probably started in this fashion and be time, the time they made their way up the ranks, up the ladder, their name had become so well known that people, as Brian is describing, that don't typically vote the lower seats because they don't know the names. I don't know much about them. I mean, I, raise a hand if you've ever said, I'm not going to vote in this election or in the partic- this particular um, um, uh, section of the ballot because I just don't know anything about it, right? I, I think we've all done it. If we're all honest, we've all said, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really studied up on this, so I won't. Conversely, so oftentimes it's simple name recognition, that folks will vote upon, oftentimes knowing very little, if anything, about the positions of the people that they are electing. And the point that Brian is making, the point that Jim Dobson makes, is that if people of good character run for the lower seats and make their way up the ladder, we might have a better chance of having more solid, more moral, more integrity in those individuals that represent us at the positions that really count. By the time you get to county level, state level, and certainly federal level. And, uh, Brian, I think therein lies part of the problem. And I know people have busy lives. They've got jobs, families to raise, bills to pay, lots of stuff going on. To take an evening and sit down and go over line by line who's running for city council, who's running for mayor, and so forth may, may seem to be a bit drudgery. But if you want to wonder how we got into the mess we're in today... I would argue in large part it's because there were millions of individuals across the state and across the nation that just couldn't be bothered, and so they didn't. And the results we see in Sacramento or in Washington, D.C. are what we're left with. Would you agree? We have a tool. That's right. We have a tool to help you locally. There's 58 counties in California. There's probably 8 million people in the sound of our voice right now, Greg, in the Bay Area. There's a lot more in all of California. We've had volunteers that have worked on this, and if, hey, it was work, if you want to volunteer for next cycle, we could use your help. In your county and community, we know who has made commitments on life. We also know, because we keep track, who are the Planned Parenthood candidates running for your local school board. You can go to CaliforniaProLife.org. Click on our Vote Local tool, and it'll pop up on a smartphone. You put in your ballot mailing address for your personal precinct. It'll tell you, yeah, it'll talk about Brian Dolly's running for governor. He's pro-life, and you already know that Gavin Newsom's not. It'll talk about Prop 1. It'll explain why I vote no and why you probably should vote no, too, if you're pro-life. But then it's going to go all the way down your ballot to the judges and the propositions. Maybe we'll talk about those. There's other propositions. It goes in depth, but most importantly, think of it as going diving. Many, many divers, when you dive, the same gas bubbles that are in you, the nitrogen bubbles, the deeper you go down the ballot, the power of your ballot, as we said earlier, 15 votes on a school board, you've just won that school board race. You've won. 15 votes on the governor's race, yeah, it's it's a drop in the bucket. Your power is local. If you go to CaliforniaProLife.org and 
the URL for the device on your phone, it's vote.californiaprolife.org. It'll bring up our vote local tool, your precinct, all the way down your ballot. Make your own decisions. It's our recommendations because we put a lot of work in. Our volunteers in the 58 counties have been working hard, and it is hard work. But we've done that work, and again, we invite you volunteer to do this next time. It's kind of fun to learn this aspect of civics. But that's our job as Christians, is to be involved in the civic community. That's been part of the problem with our government and the kind of crazy laws is committed Christians have not been involved in civics. They don't understand it. Or, or if they have been, as you delineated earlier, we tend to skip over things because, you know, as I said a moment ago, we're busy people. But there is so much at stake, even in a midterm election, and particularly uh, this cycle in many states and, and, and in California here, certainly as it relates to uh, codification of abortion, um, is a part of the Constitution. I want to drill down on that a bit more, but we're not going to stop there. There are other of measures we want to discuss tonight. So stay with us. Take notes. We'll take a time out and we're going to get back to more of our visit. We're taking a look at the election, the midterms election coming up exactly. Uh, well, it's going to be next Tuesday. So uh, make sure you get out there and vote and uh, do not only your civic duty, but I believe your responsibility as a person of faith. We take a time out back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're talking about the midterm elections and, of course, uh, Decision 22 will be coming up next Tuesday. And in addition to selecting uh, the gubernatorial race, uh, which probably in the opinion of some is, is going to be an uphill battle for Brian Dolly. Um, nevertheless, there are some critical issues that we all need to be looking at. Related to the propositions, we've touched on Proposition 1. And, and, and Brian, before we move on to the others, um, I want to put kind of a, a bow around this one. But it's an important bow because quite often, and I hear this said said by moderate voters in California, believers that take a moderate, uh, quote-unquote, moderate political position that will typically on the top of abortion intone something like, well, I'm personally against it. But I believe a woman who's in a crisis situation, perhaps a victim of incest or rape, ought to have the right to choose. But I'd never do it myself. I'd never encourage anybody to do it. And certainly, I wouldn't want to be involved in that by any stretch of the imagination. And yet, and yet, if Proposition 1 passes in California, not only will it, as you mentioned a moment ago, Codify abortion demand on demand in this state, block the ability of any future legislative act to would even do anything to curtail abortion in the state, but become a magnet state for people from other states where abortion laws have been passed to not only come to California, but to come to California and have their trip, their housing, their abortion procedure paid for by the state. But let's be specific. When we say the state, let me be clear about one thing, and I've said it forever. Washington, D.C. has no money. Sacramento has no money. The only money they have is the money we as citizens and taxpayers have sent them in our taxes. So when they say the state will pay, isn't it really saying you and I are going to wind up paying? 
Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I think it's critically important that people realize it's unlimited abortion. That's what they mean by choice. A recent poll of all Californians, in fact, likely voters, including Democrats, when asked, what's your position on the details of life? It turns out that relatively few Californians, well, they'll all say the pro-choice for the reason you gave. I think there should be limited availability. If these hard cases come up, I think it should be available. So that person will self-identify as pro-choice. But if you go into the details, they don't want, you know, eight-month-old abortions. A child that far, no, I don't favor that. No, the poll shows, again, both Republicans and Democrats in California, 13% will support late-term abortions done just for choice. Not that there's a need. No, the woman chooses to be unpregnant. That's a choice abortion. That's what we want. That's what Prop 1 puts in the law. And then only 13% of Californians say that's what they want when they say choice. So the use of language is critical. As you know, we've talked about that many times, Craig. That's why I talk about a lot on Life Matters because of my background in language and English literature. If you don't understand the words you're using and their meanings, you're going to get in trouble very quickly. And that's what they're doing with the word choice. So there's many who are going to vote on Prop 1. I hate to say it. They've got multiple millions more than we do. Just as Gavin Newsom has multiple millions more than Brian Dolly. So the odds in this fight aren't with us. But it's going to be hard for us. We're going to do it anyway. Explain what it really does. Because the media and all of the folks that are, quote, supporting the abortion lobby and feminism... They're supporting unlimited abortion, and that's not what the average Californian needs. And I say, well, I'm, I think there should be some available, so I'm pro-choice. So this deception of language is critical. I want to remind people, if you are pro-life, make sure you vote no on Prop 1. I am. It's up to you. But look into the facts. And again, go down the ballot and at CaliforniaProLife.org. Go there, all spelled out, no hyphens, CaliforniaProLife.org. Click on our vote local tool, and it'll bring up the whole ballot, and it'll explain where people are at. Because, again, your vote against Prop 1 or for Brian Dolly, it's it's really a drop in a very, very large bucket. We're, we're aware of where we live in California, but we're going to take back community by community. I've been in many pro-life states. And the reason they're a pro-life state is because they have pro-life communities in those states. And they took back those communities, and then those counties, and then those regions. And then they had a pro-life state, and they could have a pro-life governor, a pro-life legislature. All politics is local. If you go to CaliforniaProLife.org, put in vote.CaliforniaProLife.org, your address will tell you who's pro-life all the way down to your ballot. There are a number of other propositions. I know we have a couple in the case of Proposition 26 and 27 that would legalize sports betting here in California. We'll talk a bit about those and um, get Brian's take on some of the other key propositions we need to be sensitive to coming up next Tuesday. But let's take a quick time out. We'll get back to more of our conversation. Information, by the way, that we've discussed today to get the pro-life take on the the key measures before you next Tuesday. Go to the California Pro-Life Council's website. 
website, CaliforniaProLife.org. That's CaliforniaProLife.org. And uh, when you get there, click on the Election 22 link, and then it'll get you all the details you need to know. A timeout back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The two valid measures asked for your consideration next Tuesday related to online sports gaming. Um, Proposition 27. That if they always sweeten these things. And when we first voted for the lottery here in California, remember, oh, this is going to raise billions of dollars for education. We'll never have to raise taxes in California again. We'll have the best funded schools in the nation. Yeah, how well that's worked out. Uh, 27 promises hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue for housing and services for homeless Californians. Maybe. Proposition 26 does the same thing. Tens of millions of dollars that would be spent um, on the discretion of uh, governor and legislature. It I don't know. I, for me, I think whenever we start to encourage gambling, it, uh, it heads down a dark road for people that just can't control their impulses. Brian, for you, as we take a look at some of these other ballot propositions, any that come to mind that are kind of um, a penultimate that we need to be aware of? Well, I think hitting Prop 1 was obviously a requirement for you and me, that's for sure. But now as we go down the ballot, I tend to personally, because of my philosophical background as believing in the republic, and we talked about how now we have kind of a mob rule, direct democracy that we inherited in California. We kind of started in California, like in 12. But... Basically, the rule of thumb for most Republicans these days is on all of these ballot measures, because it's a lot of confusion, it's safest to vote no. And now I'm going to sum up an unusual exception this time, because the California Pro-Life Board is made up of individuals from throughout the state of different denominational backgrounds. We did have some debate on all of these, but the one that was most intriguing was Prop 31, and this is why. Uh, so basically, to sum up, on all of the propositions, California Life has recommended no, but specifically on Prop 31, it's a bit different, and that's because our premise at California Pro-Life is built on the premise of the nation. Through the laws of nature, nature's God, our nation says that the right to life is a self-evident truth revealed to the laws of nature nature's God, that the right of the innocent to have their lives protected. So literally every baby that's killed, they didn't get due process. There's no trial before you kill that baby. Every grandma that's euthanized, there's no trial. So those are innocent lives that are taken, and that's what the right to life is about. Prop 31, ironically, has to do with candy-flavored tobacco. And the tendency, and many of my friends, and I skew this way personally, the Republican Party does skew towards a libertarian view, but I am not a libertarian. And there's a reason we have laws, and it's to protect those that can't protect themselves. And this candy-flavored tobacco is designed to get kids, and it really has to do with vape in particular, but it's not just flavored. It's not menthol. This is candy flavored. So if you're an adult and you want candy flavored tobacco, well, or a candy flavored vape, go have it. But, and now this is ironic, it's somewhat related to the fentanyl weird stuff 
why is it candy flavored? I mean, we just have Halloween. And so the problem is, it's candy flavored because you're addressing, you're trying to sell something to someone who's, un, they're in their nonage, is the Latin. They're, they're underage. They don't fully understand their decisions in society. And they want candy. And gosh, I'll get some of this vape. It's designed specifically to lure minors. And as we said earlier, a lot of abortions are actually aimed at young women and often minors. One third of abortions are done on minors. They need someone to help and protect them. And ironically, our again, I'm summing up a three hour debate by our board, but that's one proposition we recommended. You know, we think those minors should be safe in society. And this is designed to candyize a poisonous thing, whether you smoke or not, have at it. But it's a pretty bad thing. I used to smoke many, many, many years ago. It's a bad thing for your health, and children should not. So that's that's our recommendation. Everything else, we're just saying, hey, don't vote for that. We have no recommendation on all the other ones. Obviously, the strong no's on Prop 1 and Prop 29 were strong no's. The rest, we've got nothing to say. But we did vote on Prop 31. You should try to protect minors that are vulnerably being abused and, and, and need protection. That's the purpose of the law. And, you know, at the end of the day, Brian, particularly as it relates to Proposition 31, listen, we know that since the 1960s, the tobacco companies have been losing their grip on their clients uh, in significant numbers. Part of the reason, of course, for that is that they've been dying. Their clients have been dying because of cancer caused by cigarette and tobacco smoking, even secondhand smoke, as we've seen um, scientifically and now irrefutably proven. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, you know, we've had laws and the health warnings uh, that go back. I mean, some of us old enough to remember when cigarettes were still advertised on radio and television. And so in order to try and, and, and at least maintain some level of, of control over their, their client base, their consumer base. We've seen two things happen. Number one, many of the big tobacco companies in the United States have shifted strong fo- focus and exportation overseas. And as much as we used to see tobacco ads every place you turned in America in the 1930s through the 1950s, now you go into nations like uh, China and Japan and uh, Vietnam and Thailand and India, and they're all over the place there. And I know that because I've seen it with my own eyes. But here in America, the message, of course, has been a strong one. But how can you kind of lull them in? Well, many of the big tobacco companies have decided, you know, if we can get young children hooked, draw them in with flavors that they enjoy, keep them in with the nicotine side, they will one day graduate to become full-fledged tobacco smokers. And uh, these companies are no idiots. If you grew up as a child in the 1960s, you might remember the candied cigarettes. Remember they came in a little package and at the end had a little red tip that looked like it was glowing and it was a candy cigarette. Did you know that the manufacturer of that was actually a tobacco company that decided it would be a great marketing tool? 
they weren't fundamentally in the candy business, but in that case, it served them because they knew a five or six year old child that gets used to having a little white stick in their hand will probably likely grow up to become a lifelong consumer. And uh, Brian, I think your point is very valid on that. Uh, You know, as adults, we can make decisions for ourselves. But when you're creating products that are specifically targeted toward <laughs> Lorraine and children who don't understand the dangers or don't want to be bothered with it because they think they'll live forever, um, it's pretty dangerous when an industry is allowed to do that. And so uh, I think taking a hard look at Proposition 31, um, and it, let me remind you, by the way, as is quite frequently the case with propositions, if you vote yes, it's yes to keep the law that continues the ban against the sale of flavored tobacco products. So don't get confused on that. That that can be a big tripwire for a lot of folks, Brian. Yeah. Yeah, there is a lot of confusion in the ballot. Again, I want to urge you to go to vote.californiapolife.org so you can see your local ballot. You're going to see judges. There's quite a few judges that are up both statewide and then locally in your county just judges up. We had a lot of work there, and one of the things we look for is judicial temperament, because actually a good judge is not going to tell you that, yeah, I'm pro-life or I'm pro-choice. They're not going to do that, because they don't know the decisions coming up before them. So I actually stand with a judge, which is basically a political lawyer. That's what judges are. <laughs> no, no pun intended. But we want to look at their temperament. You're looking at judicial temperament, and that's exactly what you saw in the debate about Justice Ketanji Jackson. The real question is, how do you view the world? What is your position on, on this idea or that? What are your previous decisions? So a lot of work's gone into that, and again, there's statewide judges on the, on the state Supreme Court that have to be confirmed. And then down in your local county, there are judges, and a lot of work has gone into that. We want to equip you to understand your ballot. Again, the farther down the ballots, just like going deeper in the ocean, the power of that nitrogen bubble grows. The deeper down the ballot you go, it's big. And so when you vote locally, you're bringing a lot, whereas statewide, your vote is important. It is important. Don't give up on that. But the more local you go, and that's all available at CaliforniaProLife.org. Go to the website. Again, no hyphen in there, CaliforniaProLife.org. We want to equip you. We're giving you advice. We strongly recommend you look at all the factors. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I do want to tell you there's a lot of folks that aren't looking at what to do. said I was so proud of Dr. Dobson's program this last weekend where he pointed it out. Something's wrong with Christians. They give up. They're not willing to apply themselves to study to show that what they believe should be approved. And they don't vote down ballot where you're most powerful. So I want to urge you to do that. Uh, other stuff, Craig, what else on the ballot do you want to go over? Um, we, you made briefly a mention of Proposition 29. Uh, this is kind of back for, I don't know, round two, round three. We've seen this proposition before um, that's requiring a licensed medical professional at kidney dialysis clinics and establishments. Uh, the fact that this thing keeps popping up again and again tells me there's a bit of an agenda behind it. It sure is, and I'll be honest with you, I have a lot of experience with you, and might be union members listening in with government unions. They want to unionize uh, dialysis clinics because there's a lot of money. I have to, I've, I've learned the hard way. You're, watch your diet, folks. <laughs> we talked about smoking. This is not a health program today, but life does matter. 
And uh, dialysis is extremely common now. Kidney failure and renal disease is becoming a Western, a new Western tradition in other Western countries because of our diet. And so kidney treatment is very, very expensive, and it is covered by most insurance companies and especially government health care. There's a lot of government money in it. And so government union employees to unionize these clinics so that it's, there's tighter government and union control. You're right, this is, I think, the third time it's been on the ballot. And what happens, the legislature, they get lobbied hard by these government employee unions. There's a lot of money thrown at them. And they basically say, hey, stop the pressure. Just let people decide. Make, make them vote on it. Get it off our back. So it's a hot topic. You're exactly right. But the real issue is they want to unionize and control the nephrology, which is your kidney. And, and of course, if that happens, you also know that the attending rate uh, is going to go up significantly, which means now we've got higher prices for our health insurance on and on the list goes. More information on the, the variety of topics we have discussed today on the California Pro-Life website, CaliforniaProLife.org. O-R-G. That's CaliforniaProLife.org. Undoubtedly, Brian will uh, recap some of these topics on his program this Saturday. It's called Life Matters. Comes your way at 11 a.m. right here on AM 1100. KFAX. Like that? That works. 11 o'clock on 1100 a.m. Brian Johnson, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. Thank you, my friend, for the update. 6 o'clock from KFAX. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.